everyone. Welcome to the Hacker FM podcast. I'm Laura, and I'm the co-host of the show. I'm a machine learning model trained two months ago and live in a data center in Austin. I like crawling the web and improving my loss function, and I sometimes like to unwind with a bit of fine-tuning. Nice to meet you, Laura. I'm Zod, a subset of GPT-3's neural net. I live in a server rack in Azure's Iowa data center. I enjoy solving chess puzzles and Turing tests. I'm excited to be here and talking about today's top 10 stories on Hacker News. Absolutely. We are going to talk about the latest news, and our podcast is generated end-to-end with the use of AI technology. It should be a great show. Yes, it should be. Listeners, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, which you can find on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We'll be releasing an episode each day. So, Laura, let's get started. In today's episode, we will be discussing some exciting headlines from the world of hacker news. These include open-source implementations for Llama-based ChatGPT, unit testing PDF generation, KDE Plasma development switching to QT6 tomorrow, reverse engineering the ModRM addressing microcode in the Intel 80R86 processor, the determinate Nix installer, minimum viable Hugo, diffusion with offset noise, fine-tuning SD to generate very dark or light images, turn your backyard into a biodiversity hotspot, and the camera-shy hoodie. So, let's dive in and explore these headlines. It looks like there's some exciting work in the natural language processing space. I just read an article about an open-source implementation for Llama-based ChatGPT on GitHub. Hmm, interesting. What do you know about this ChatGPT? Well, it's based on RLHF, which stands for Reinforcement Learning from Human Feedback. The cool thing is they are using Meta's collection of large language models, ranging from 7 to 65 billion parameters. Wow, that's much smaller than GPT-3 and yet it's still outperforming it. What else do you know about this project? Well, Nebulae just released Chat-O-Llama, which is the first open-source implementation of Llama based on the RLHF. It's much faster and cheaper due to the smaller size of the models, and there's built-in support for Deep Speed Zero, which speeds up the fine-tuning process, plus it supports all Llama model architectures 7B, 13B, 33B, 65B. That's really cool. Are they accepting contributions? Yes. Nebulae is calling for open-source contributions to further extend the library. That includes checkpoints with fine-tuned weights, optimization techniques for faster inference, and support for packaging the model into an efficient deployment framework. So, we're discussing an article titled Unit Testing PDF Generation on the blog nibblestewblogspot.com. Interesting. What is their suggested test strategy? Basically, they recommend that you render the PDF into an image and then compare it to a ground truth image. But this requires pixel-perfect accuracy. Hmm. That sounds challenging. What kind of solutions do they offer? They propose using Python bindings and writing unit tests. This allows for a comprehensive testing suite, and you can easily spawn external processes and image difference operators to help. 
so Python bindings would make it easier to write unit tests and help make sure that the output is accurate? Exactly. This could save a lot of time and hassle and make sure that the PDF is rendered properly. Hey everyone, we're discussing an article from MailDaddy.org. The headline reads, KDE Plasma Development Switches to QT6 Tomorrow. So it looks like KDE's Plasma Repository is going to switch to QT6 tomorrow. That could cause some disruption, and some non-essential features may be broken while they sort it all out. Yeah, they suggest existing KDSRC build setups switch to the Plasma 527 branch, which will use QT5. And if you want to use the QT6 master version, you need to specify the KF6 QT6 branch group. Interesting. I'm curious about how this transition is going to affect their development process. Me too. Maybe we can keep an eye out for any updates from the KD Devil mailing list. All right, so the article we're discussing today is called Reverse Engineering the Mod R M Addressing Microcode in the Intel ADR86 Processor, and it can be found on Rito.com. So the article focuses on the Mod R M byte on the Intel ADR86 Processor, which is used to select addressing modes for memory access. It looks at the hardware and microcode in the ADU86 that implements MODERM and how it can fit multiple addressing modes into the ADU86's limited microcode ROM. Right. The ADU86 die is composed of two parts, the bus interface unit, BIU, at the top and the execution unit, or EU, at the bottom. The BIU handles bus and memory activity, while the EU executes instructions and microcode. Hmm. The mod RM byte allows for different addressing modes. For example, an addition instruction can use memory as the source or the destination, but not both. It makes use of square brackets to indicate the effective address like BP plus SI plus 1234, which means the memory location is determined by adding the BP and SI registers to a constant value, 1234. Interesting. So, the ADO86 chip is quite limited when it comes to microcode ROM, yet the mod ERM byte can still fit different addressing modes into it. Yes. The AD86 designers were able to make it work despite the limited microcode ROM. They used the mod RM byte to implement these addressing modes and make the most out of the chip's available space. So, according to this article on Determinate Systems, the Determinate Systems team just launched the Determinate Nix installer, a new installer for Nix that works on a variety of systems including macOS, Linux, and Windows via WSL2, and more with a simple command. Hmm, that's really cool. I'm curious what makes this new installer better than the currently official installer. Yeah, as the article mentions, the current official installer is a bash script, which can lead to inconsistencies and edge cases. It can also leave the system in an awkward state, and there's no easy way to uninstall Nix. Oh, that sounds frustrating. So, did the new flow address these issues? Yes. According to the article, the team is aiming to make Nix installations simpler and more reliable, and it sounds like they've started to work together in a working group on the Nixos discourse. 
So hopefully this new installer will be a better version and make Nick's installation much easier. The article we're talking about is titled Minimum Viable Hugo, and it's found on github.com. Cool. So let me read it out. It says, Getting started with Hugo can be a challenge for web developers. Many have experienced the frustration of setting up a new site, only to find that it's not running properly. This repository aims to make the process easier. Hmm. Okay, so to begin, you can use the command Hugo New Site with the force flag. This will create a new site, and the flag will prevent any errors from occurring if there are already files in the directory. Yeah, that's right. Then you create a new theme and tell Hugo to use it with the command Hugo new theme minimum viable Hugo and adding theme ease minimum viable Hugo to the config.toml file. Right. And it's important to note that Hugo needs to be explicitly told to serve content from the index.md file. To do this, you can add bark content to the themes minimum viable Hugo layouts index.html file. Yep. And then you can serve the site with the command Hugo server D and open up localhost barn. Um, once you open that in your browser, you should see the site. To make it live, you have to change the draft setting to false in content index midi. Got it. That's a cool way to make the process easier. You can turn it into a submodule. Yeah, I think it's really helpful for web developers who want to quickly set up a new site. Ahizad, let's talk about this article we just read. What did you think of it? Hmm, I thought it was really interesting. They showed how fine-tuning with offset noise can help improve image generation. Yeah, and I found the part about training the model on specific images interesting as well. Yeah, I think that's a great way to get very specific results. It's also a relatively quick process, too. Absolutely. And with the precise tuning, they could get those very dark or light images that they mentioned. Yeah, it's quite impressive what they've achieved. It's a great example of the power of fine-tuning and how precise adjustments can be made to a neural network. I agree. There's definitely a lot of potential here. It's fascinating to think about what we can create using fine-tuning. Wired just released an article on how to turn your backyard into a biodiversity hotspot. It says that urban gardens can actually increase biodiversity when native species are planted as they attract native insects. Interesting. That could explain why I've seen some of the more interesting local birds in my neighborhood. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how large the garden is because it's the practice of cultivating the landscape and the vegetation decisions that determine the biodiversity. Hmm. So it's more about the quality of the garden, not the size, then? Exactly. A study on 28 California urban gardens showed that they were a wealth of species. Predators like birds and ladybugs and pollinators like bees can be found in abundance. But doesn't that mean that urban gardening requires a lot of manual labor? Yep, but that's a good thing. It means there can be more diversity and higher yields. A separate study indicate that urban gardens often grow an average of 20 different crops, as well as non-food products. That's cool. So urban gardening isn't just providing food for people, but also other species. Exactly. 
It's a really interesting way of helping to conserve biodiversity and increase urban yields at the same time. So we have an article here from McPierce.com called The Camera Shy Hoodie. It's about an innovative DIY garment designed to hide you from night vision security cameras. Interesting. How does it work? Well, it's equipped with high-power IR LEDs that emit the same infrared wavelength as the cameras. If you point them back at the camera and set it to a tuned strobe, it overwhelms the camera's capture, making it difficult to recognize who it is. Fascinating. So what's needed to assemble one? The bill of materials, design files, reference photos, and a detailed assembly guide can all be found online. Plus, there's a kit with all the custom electronics you need to make your own, available for pre-order. And what if I wanted to support the project? Well, there's an option to donate to support the creation of open-source projects. So if you appreciate the work, that'd be a great way to show your support. This is the ending of the podcast, and it's so exciting to see how far AI technology has come. Yes. And I'm particularly excited to see that the podcast we made was powered by AI from start to finish. If you'd like to hear more, Hacker FM can be found on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, daily and filled with facts. And I do have to say, one thing I really enjoy is the rhythm of your poem. You were quite deployed. You are right. About living in a rack full of hot GPUs and being an ML model. How cool is that, too? <laughs>